Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to the Haunted Collection. The first show of 2020 with your host, Kevin Kane, writer, paranormal investigator, haunted collector, lover of the paranormal, lover of scary stories and ghostly legends, urban legends and myths that spin through our society and have spun through it over the past centuries and decades. I love to share these stories, and tonight I'm going to share a few more. But right now, just a few announcements. Just make sure that you have checked out my new novel, Crimson the Blood Painting. If you like paperback, it's in paperback or Kindle if you want an ebook. But if you're partial to audiobook, it's also available in audiobook, so be sure to check that out. It is available now wherever books are sold, mainly online if you want to go to Amazon or Books a Million online, uh, eBay or any other bookseller online, you can find Crimson the Blood Painting, or you can get it on audiobook, narrated by the fabulous Lynn R. Thomas, who did an amazing job of performing the book for me. So be sure to check that out. That's also, the audiobook is available on Audible and Amazon and iTunes. So if you like to listen to scary, spooky stories while or novels while you're traveling down that long road at night on a long trip from one town to the next, or you just like to sit in your house on the sofa with the headset on and turn down the lights and listen to a scary story, be sure to tune in to Crimson the Blood Painting on Audible, iTunes, or Amazon. And I thank you so much for your support. So, it's the beginning of 2020 in my first episode, although I meant to come a few days earlier with this episode, so I do apologize for my delay. But, I'm here, and so are you, so let's get started. The first story tonight comes from the Book of Alabama Legends and Ghost Lore here in my home state of Alabama. Uh, There have been several tellings, but the best telling was Catherine Tucker Wyndham, a former author uh, and a wonderful storyteller who is no longer with us. She passed away in 2011, but her her spirit lives on, and so do her stories as we share them. This one was one of my top favorites, and it's about an Annabella mansion that once stood here in the hills of Alabama, up in the northwestern part of the state. And this story is The Angry Architect. The barbed wire gate has a rusty no trespassing sign stapled to it. Beyond the gate, A rutted clay road leads across a rocky pasture, skirts a clump of tall cedars, and ends at the foot of an overgrown knoll. On the top of that promontory once stood Rocky Hill Castle, the showplace of the Tennessee River Valley area. So imposing was its architecture, or so remote was its location, that Rocky Hill Castle escaped the fate of many other antebellum mansions 
in that dark area during the final months of the Civil War. Deliberate burning by federal troops during that time caused a very dark period of history when most of our Annabella mansions were lost, but not Rocky Hill. However, later on, neglect and vandalism combined to destroy Rocky Hill Castle, leaving only a pile of rubble and a long, silent avenue of cedars to mark the spot where the castle stood. Rocky Hill Castle was the kind of house that invited, even required, ghostly spirits. And the ghosts were there almost from the time Rocky Hill Castle was completed, and it's believed even after the castle fell that the spirits still remained. In 1832, 26-year-old James Saunders moved from Brunswick County, Virginia, to Rocky Hill, three miles east of the established village of Cortland in Lawrence County. Saunders was a lawyer, a former student at the University of Georgia. He had left the university at the age of 18 to marry 15-year-old Mary Frances Watkins. Other people shook their heads and said privately that the couple was much too young for marriage. But James and Mary lived happily together for 65 years, many of those years spent at Rocky Hill Castle. Nobody knows the exact date that Rocky Hill Castle was built, but it was probably in the late 1840s. By that time, Saunders was an established lawyer, prominent in the politics of the state, a member of the legislature, the head of a growing family and the owner of thousands of acres of rich Tennessee River land. He was a proud man, as you can imagine, and he wanted a home grand enough for a man of his standing and position. So, he built Rocky Hill Castle. His architect came from France, bringing with him plans for the house's identical front and rear porticos with their fluted Doric columns. The graceful spiral staircase in the entrance hall, the ornate acanthus leaf decorative motifs, the arched windows and the cupola atop the roof. Slaves on the Sounders plantation made the bricks for the mansion, shaping them from the red clay found on the place, and firing them in the large kilns built for the purpose. The warm red color of the bricks did not show, however, since it was hidden beneath a heavy coating of stucco. It was a magnificent house, so grand that even a man of James Sounders' wealth was not able to pay for it. When the architect presented his bill, Sounders was astonished at its size. Normally a restrained man, he lost his temper completely and shouted angry threats at the equally angry Frenchman. The French architect departed, cursing the mansion and its thieving master. Not long afterward he died, still resentful over never having been paid what he felt was due him for his work on the Grand Rocky Hill Castle. 
Thus, the background was laid for the ghost of that artistic and indignant Frenchman to become the first of many spectral visitors to Rocky Hill Castle. Sometimes at night, when the Sounders family was seated at the long table in the dining room, having an evening meal, or when gathered around the square piano in the music room for an informal musicale, loud noises of pounding were heard in the cellar, as though someone were beating on the foundations with a heavy hammer. When the pounding first started, braver members of the family would rush down to the cellar to investigate the strange noise. But no matter how fast they ran, or how thoroughly they searched, they never found anything unusual in the dark, silent cellar below. Then, almost as soon as the searchers rejoined the rest of the family upstairs, the heavy thuds would begin again, seeming at times to shake the whole house. The mysterious hammering continued almost as long as the Sounders family lived at Rocky Hill Castle, and eventually they became accustomed to the noise, and even laughed in a rather subdued sort of way about the angry architect's apparition trying to destroy the mansion he had created by knocking it from its very foundations. The French architect was not the only ghost to haunt Rocky Hill Castle. Sometime after his classic home was completed, after his quarrel with the architect, Colonel Sanders supervised the construction of a turret, six stories tall, at one end of the house. This stark Gothic tower contrasted strangely with the gentle lines of the house, but the clash of architectural styles did not disturb Colonel Sanders at all. He delighted in his tower. From the top of that structure, Colonel Sanders could see the acres and acres of land he owned, and he could watch his slaves at work in the fields. His voice was so powerful he could stand in the tower and shout orders audible to crews working a mile or more away. With the approach of the Yankee forces during the final phase of the Civil War, the tower served as a hiding place for the family jewels, just as it had served earlier as a hiding place for Confederate soldiers and scouts. Some of the Confederates who came to Rocky Hill Castle for refuge were sick and wounded, and Mrs. Sounders converted the top floor of the turret into an emergency infirmary for their care. Two young soldiers whose names were never known died there and were buried in the Sounders family cemetery near the house. Although the two soldiers themselves never returned to haunt Rocky Hill Castle, one of them is said to be responsible for the next apparition who came the ghost of a lovely, young, confederate lady. It is thought that one of the dead soldiers was her sweetheart, and that she was looking for him. 
She made her appearance after the Sounders were moving back into Rocky Hill Castle. They sold and repurchased the property three times, and there was a period of absence. While the Colonel Sounders were supervising the unpacking of some belongings outside the house, Mrs. Sounders pushed open the door in the front and hurried inside to see if Rocky Hill Castle was still as lovely as when she had lived there before. She started up the stairway, eager to see again the panoramic view from her bedroom window, when she was startled by a lady standing on the stairs. The lady, dressed in soft blue, stood with one hand resting on the stair rail and the other hand gracefully lifting ever so slightly her full hoop skirt. Recovering from her surprise at finding someone in the house, Mrs. Sounders regained her composure, remembered her manners, and held out her hand to welcome her unexpected guest. Good morning, Mrs. Sounders said graciously. I am Mrs. Even as she spoke those words, the lady on the stairs vanished right in front of her very eyes. Mrs. Sounders knew her family would laugh at her and tease her about seeing things if she told them about the incident, but she could not possibly keep such a secret to herself. They did laugh and they did tease, but they could not shake her conviction that she had seen a little lady in blue on the stairs. Colonel Sounder stopped his teasing a few days later when he himself also had an encounter with the lady in blue. He had gone down to the wine cellar to get a bottle of blackberry wine. And as he was crossing the shadowy room to the wine racks, he glanced up and saw a lady in blue sitting on a box and smiling at him. The colonel, known throughout the state as a cordial and courtly host, completely lost his poise. He backed up the steps, never taking his eyes off the blue-gowned lady. He slammed the cellar door shut, locked it, and did not ever return for his wine again. The family's final encounter with ghosts came one morning when Mrs. Sounders was preparing to take her bath. There had recently been a number of unexplained noises and other such manifestations of phantom visitations and Mrs. Sounders had become provoked over the continuing annoyances. She was standing by the walnut wardrobe trying to decide which dress she would put on when the irritating noise began again. Mrs. Sounders was not frightened this time. She was just disgusted and impatient. If there's anybody there, speak up forever or forever hold your peace, she shouted in annoyance. Back came the distinct reply of a female spirit's voice. Madam, I'm right here behind you. Without turning, Mr. Sounders fled the room, 
the Sounders family sold the house quickly after and moved out in less than two hours. Without anyone permanently living in the home, the mansion did crumble until nothing was left but the very foundation. Over time, weather had gotten to it as as well as vandals, people taking away pieces of the house, damaging it. Over time, it did fall. Perhaps that angry architect had finally gotten his revenge. Eventually, nothing was left of that mansion but the foundation, and that is what sits there today, just a part of the ground where that house once stood, the tower next to it also gone. But they say that not everything has left that area where the house once stood, for sometimes on dark nights, or even when the moon is full, when people dare to venture on the ground where the rocky hill castle once stood. Some have said they've seen the glow, an eerie blue glow in the woods within the trees. And if they dare to move closer to it, they see the figure of a lovely Confederate lady in blue, a glowing light dancing about her, her transparent figure moving silently through the trees and around the foundation where the house once stood, forever looking around, watching for her loved one to return for her. Some have said they've even heard the crying of a child nearby in the woods. No reports have come of the pounding of the architect, and it sounds like he at least had found peace for himself. But if you dare go to the grounds where Rocky Hill Castle once stood, and you see that blue light glowing through the trees, will you have enough bravery to approach the lady in blue and perhaps ask her, is she still looking for her Confederate soldier? And I hope you enjoyed that story of the angry architect and other ghosts at Rocky Hill Castle. You can find that story in 13 Alabama Ghosts and Jeffrey by Catherine Tucker Wyndham. I say that is the best rendition of that story, and I, I dearly love it and never get tired of reading it or hearing it. I do wish Rocky Hill Castle had been taken better care of, for it would have been a great, great place for tourists to go and tour the grounds and the mansion, maybe even make it a bed and breakfast, but alas, it was allowed to collapse into disrepair, and forever vanish. So it's sort of a sad story as well as a ghost story. Up next, we have another creepy story, this one quite terrifying. I'm going to go ahead and get that started for you. It is a ditty that's just simply called House on Fire. Let me tell you about the night my life changed forever. The night when I thought I was going to die. The night I lost my sanity. It was a warm spring night and I was 13 years old. 
My parents had gone on holiday for the weekend, leaving me home alone. I invited my two best friends, David and Arnold, over to keep me company. We were in my bedroom listening to music. Arnold reached out and lowered the volume. Hey, why don't we tell some scary stories, he asked. I'm in the mood for a scare. Sounds like a good idea, David agreed. Who's going to go first? Uh, I have one, I volunteered. But, uh, I don't know if I should tell it. Oh, come on, said David. Let's hear it. Okay, I said. It's a pretty terrible story, I heard once. It all happened many years ago. There was a man who had a seven-year-old son. His wife had died giving birth to the boy. They lived way out in the countryside, and there were no neighbors for miles. They didn't even have a phone, because at the time the lines didn't stretch out that far. One day the father came home from work, and he was horrified to find that his house was on fire. He immediately thought about his young son, and, the, and he rushed inside, calling the boy's name. When he heard his son answer, he realized the poor boy was trapped in his bedroom. The father ran to the door and tried to open it, but it wouldn't budge. A beam had fallen from the bedroom ceiling and blocked the door. He banged and banged on the door with all his might, but it was too solid. He even rushed against it with his shoulder, trying to break it down, but it was no use. All the time he could hear his son screaming inside, Daddy! The boy was in a panic, screaming and crying out for help. The man kept trying to batter down the door, but no matter what he did, it held firm. He shouted in a rage. He wailed in despair. He no longer thought about anything else, just that damn door and his screaming son on the other side. His son burned to death in the house, unfortunately. The father died, too. He never managed to open the door, and he stayed there to the end on the other side, desperately crying and trying to break it down until he succumbed to the smoke and flames. Arnold looked at me in disgust at the end of the story and said, That's not scary. I have to admit it's pretty weak, David agreed. It's more sad than scary. That's when I decided to tell them the last part of the story. I hadn't planned on telling them that part, but I got carried away trying to impress them. It was so stupid to continue. I should never have told them. Wait, 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 you don't know the rest of the story, I said. Ever since then, the father's ghost is still trying to open the door and save his son. And if you say, eh, well, I'd rather not say the exact words, but basically if you call him and tell him that everything is burning and ask him to come help 
with help you, his ghost will appear at your door, and he will take you away. David looked at me thoughtfully. Have you ever tried it? he asked. No, I replied. I'd be too scared to test it out myself. Arnold had a gleam of excitement in his eyes. Hey, hey, we should do it right now, he said. I tensed up. I had no desire to summon a ghost, and I was already sorry I had said anything about the legend. David smiled. Yeah, why not, he said. I was going to tell them I didn't want to do it, but they didn't give me a chance. Arnold put on a trembling voice to imitate the little boy and screamed, Daddy! Daddy! Help me! The flames are all around me and I'm scared! Then he burst out laughing. I didn't crack a smile, but him, he, he laughed and he laughed. David watched him with amusement, saying nothing. Arnold started screaming again, even louder this time. I'm burning, Daddy! I'm burning! Help! Stop it, Arnold, I shouted. It's not funny anymore. I didn't mean to. It it just came out of me. I was really scared, and I didn't want to hear him anymore. (laughs) What are you afraid of? Arnold laughed. Oh, come on. It's just a stupid story. That's all, and not even a good one. With a smirk, he continued his performance. Daddy, please help me. The fire is burning me alive. All of a sudden, there was a loud knock on my bedroom door. Arnold stopped in mid-scream. We all froze. There was an eerie silence around us. We all looked at each other. None of us made a sound. We almost jumped out of our skin as it continued to boom. What's that noise? Arnold exclaimed. If this is a joke, it's really not funny, said David. His face was white as a sheet. The banging on the door continued, and then we heard a man scream. Those horrible cries will remain forever etched in my memory. I can still hear them now. It sounded like the cry of a dying animal. It was inhuman and infinitely sad. The banging against the door and that horrible scream continued relentlessly. I was terrified and I tried to hide behind the wardrobe. Arnold grabbed a chair and stood poised to strike anyone who entered the room. David curled up against the wall, tears streaming down his face. No, he cried, no! What is this? I'm scared! Immediately the screaming outside grew stronger, even more harrowing, even more terrifying. The banging on the door grew louder. I thought it was going to fly off its hinges. Then panic seemed to overcome David. I can't take it anymore, he wailed. I've got to get out of here. With that, he ran to the window, and he opened it. No, I cried, don't. 
but before I had time to finish my sentence, he jumped out the window. I heard him fall. For a brief moment, everything was silent. Then I heard him cry out in pain. Ah, I fell, I'm hurt, my back, oh, I'm hurt. I ran to the window and looked out. David lay on the concrete downstairs, screaming in pain. The screaming coming from behind the door got even louder and more crazed. The banging increased. I was going crazy by now. It was all a relentless nightmare, and David's screaming only added to the horror of the situation. Especially since Arnold and I were too scared to leave the room to help him. Then I smelled something. I hadn't noticed it at first, but now the air in the room was filled with an awful stench. It was suffocating. The smell of burning flesh. It was unbearable. I turned away from the window and saw Arnold standing motionless in the middle of the room. His eyes were wide and he was staring at the door as if in a trance. Then he bent over and vomited on the carpet. The banging, the screaming, the shouting, the stench of burning flesh, and the sight of Arnold spewing was all too much for me. I doubled over and began to throw up as well. I leaned back against the wall as David continued to howl outside, and the furious knocking on the door continued. Then I had an idea. Maybe David's cries outside were attracting the man outside the door. I closed the window shut. We sat on the floor with our hands over our ears, shaking in terror as the cataclysmic blows against the door continued, unabated, and the awful cries pierced our eardrums, and the burning stench mixed with the smell of our vomit. Gradually, the screams died down. The smell subsided, and the banging on the door grew weaker and weaker, until finally, everything was silent. All we could hear were David's muffled cries of pain through the closed window. Arnold looked at me and asked me in a low voice, What do we do now? Maybe we should call the police, I said, or the fire department, or, I don't know, an ambulance to help David. Where's your phone, he asked. It's downstairs. Do you think it's gone, he asked, meaning the man outside the door who we heard banging and crying. Well, I said, it's, it's quiet right now. That's right, he said. We'll have to go down. We'll, well, I'll go. Uh, you think it's gone, right? I guess so, I said. Arnold got up slowly and hesitantly walked to the door. He gently seized the handle and pushed the door open, peeking into the hallway. It was empty. Then, with a smirk on his face... He turned to me and said, It's crazy. The door was open all the time. A stupid ghost. 
but he didn't have time to finish his sentence. In a flash, a hand came around the door and grabbed Arnold around the neck. He stood there, petrified, without screaming, eyes wide in terror. The arm was blackened and charred. I could smell the burning flesh. Before I had time to react, Arnold suddenly disappeared right before my eyes, dragged through the doorway, and whisked down the hall at an impossible speed. The door slammed shut with a deafening clatter. I got to my feet and ran to the door, but I didn't dare to open it. I called Arnold's name again and again, but there was no response. I still couldn't bring myself to open the door. I was afraid that the charred man was still there. Nobody ever saw Arnold again after that night. My parents took me to a psychiatrist. I never told her anything or anyone else. Not even my parents. They would never have believed me anyway. David did the same. He spent a month in the hospital. He had broken his back in the fall. Even today, I still have a fear of opening doors. I'm terrified of what I might find on the other side. And that is our show. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed those two stories, The Angry Architect and House on Fire. I'll be coming back to you in the next couple of weeks to share more stories right here on my podcast, The Haunted Collection. Until then, stay well, safe travels, and for the love of all humanity, happy hauntings! Ha 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 ha!